Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Well, if you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and as you're turning there, I just want to remind any uh, mothers who may need the nursery that that room is available, though we're not uh, providing volunteers for child care. We do have that room available for you if you need it for any reason. Um, also, I just want to uh, thank Nathaniel for his, his gifts that he gives to our church through uh, his writing and for that liturgy and for organizing uh, our Advent readings throughout this Christmas season. It's been a gift to us uh, from God. Uh, so thank you, brother, uh, for doing that for us throughout this Christmas season. Well, this morning we're going to just be continuing with uh, the Christmas story from Matthew that we began last week. So we looked last week at the birth of Christ at the end of chapter 1, and then we're going to be in Matthew 2 verses 1 through 12 this morning. So let me read our passage for us, and then we'll pause and take a moment to pray together, and then we will dive into God's Word together. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this time that you have set apart for us. You have allowed us to come together as your people to reflect on the glorious reality, the incarnation of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, coming and taking on flesh to dwell among us, to live in our place and to die in our place, to victoriously rise from the grave that we might one day join him in that very same 
resurrection. Father, I know that we all come into this room with the busyness of this day. A lot probably in many homes has already happened this morning. A lot of goings on, a lot of eagerness and excitement. There's family get-togethers yet to happen for lunch and dinners and a lot happening. And it's all good things, gifts from you, Father. But Father, I pray that you would use this time, this morning, as we have prayed together and read your word together, as we have sung together, and as now we look at the truth of your word together, I pray that you would use, use these things to focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus. That we would do battle this morning with the distractions of the world. And that you would draw our hearts and our affections, our gaze on King Jesus this morning. And I pray you would draw us into worship. And as you do that, I pray that you would change us by the power of your spirit through the truth of your word. And so now, Father, I pray that you would guide my words, allow me to speak only what is true of you, only what is true of your word. And I pray that you would be at work in us for our good and for the glory of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, it is a joy to be able to gather here with you this morning to reflect on the birth of King Jesus this morning, our sovereign Lord and our all-sufficient Savior, right? There is, there is no greater thing we could do on this Christmas morning than gather together to do this thing, to look at the truth of God's Word, to reflect on what it has to say about the birth of this child in Bethlehem just over... 2,000 years ago. And as I just prayed, my prayer continues to be that the Lord would use this morning to focus our hearts, our minds, our attention on King Jesus to free us from the distractions that this world throws our way. Not that we shouldn't have fun on Christmas. Not that we shouldn't spend time with family and exchange gifts. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying it is tempting for Jesus to get lost in the hustle and bustle of it all. And I pray that the word of God this morning would draw our attention on him and that we would free ourselves from the trappings of all of those distractions. So as we turn our attention to Matthew 2, 1 through 12, what I pray is that we'll see God's sovereign hand at work bringing the wise men from the east to worship this promised child. Now last week we saw that Matthew was showing us from the narrative of uh, Jesus's conception and his birth, showing us the supernatural nature of the birth of Christ. He was born to the Virgin Mary, that there was something significant and different that set this child apart, even in the way that he came into being uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now in chapter 2, he will show us that this child born in a stable and laid in a manger is worthy of our worship. And we're going to see that God does this in a very unexpected way. That even in his birth, Jesus was about defying expectations, right? That was so much of his life. He wasn't at all what people expected him to be. And the same was true even in his birth with those who came to worship him and those who didn't bother to come and worship him. So, so let's look at how the story unfolds. We're simply going to work our way through the story, how it unfolds, and see how people responded to the birth of the king. And we're going to see three truths about Jesus in this passage. Number one, he's sought by the unexpected. 
Salt by the unexpected. Number two, rejected by the expected. Rejected by the expected. And number three, he is found by God's sovereign hand. Found by God's sovereign hand. So let's begin with the first truth. He is salt by the unexpected. Look there with again me, again with me at verses one and two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, first, we just need to acknowledge that Technically, this happens way after the Christmas story, okay? So we are, we are post-stable. We are post-manger scene when the wise men come from the east. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But, but here this narrative is normally filled with all kinds of speculation about these mysterious men, these, these wise men who come from the east. And we all have an image of these men in our minds, right? You, if you've seen a painting of a nativity or if you have a nativity scene in your home, it's the stable, the manger, and then there's these men over to the side, normally three of them, right? And they have their dressy garbs on and they're there at the stable where the shepherds also are and Jesus is laying in the manger. Now, in almost every one of those, there's, as I said, three wise men. They're holding three gifts. And there's Mary, there's Joseph, and the baby Jesus. But of course, the visit from the wise men would not have looked like that at all. We don't know how many wise men there were. There were three gifts, and so we often assume there were three, but we don't know that there were three. There could have been two. There could have been ten. We really have no idea. They traveled with probably a large caravan. So even if there were three of them, there were probably a lot of other people with them, helping them along their way on their trip uh, when they arrived there. This happened well after the birth of Jesus. You, you see that um, they uh, later, at the end of chapter 2 there, or verses, at the end of verses 1 through 12, it says they go to the house to see Jesus. So by this time, they're not in the stable anymore. They've moved to a house, but they are still in Bethlehem. They have not gone back home yet. Uh, Mary and Joseph have not. So they're still there in Bethlehem. So we know that it wasn't too long after he was born, but it's somewhere between when he was born and up to as long as two years after he was born. And we just base that on when uh, the age of the children that Herod decides to cruelly slaughter in hopes of also catching up Jesus in the executions. But nevertheless, even though a lot of what we think about the story isn't what the Bible says about this story, the important things we need to see this morning is that these men came from the east to worship King Jesus. Anything beyond that is pure specul speculation. In fact, Matthew's point seems to be less about who these men were in particular and more about from where they came. The point is, they came from the east to Jerusalem. They were not Jews. They were not part of the nation of Israel. They did not live in Jerusalem. They were foreigners. They were nationals. They were part of the nations. They came from the east to worship 
Jesus. And when they show up, they ask this question. You see that there in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now they know something that apparently nobody else in this scene knows. This child who has been born, notice it doesn't say where is he who was born who might be king of the Jews, who will one day be king of the Jews. It doesn't say any of that. What does it say? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He is already the king of the Jews. And Matthew structures this passage very intentionally. The word king or ruler is used six different times. And even there at the beginning, he identifies in verse 1 that this was in the days of Herod the king. Right? He was seen as the king in that day and time. He was considered and had been often called the king of the Jews at that time. But it was clear that is not who they were coming to look for. They were coming to look for someone else. And the reason they showed up in Jerusalem is because that's where they assumed he would be, right? Jerusalem is this big capital city of Israel. Surely that's where the one who was born king of the Jews would be. So they go looking for him, assuming somebody there will know where this child is who has been born king of the Jews. And then they give the reason why they're looking for him. They say for or because we saw his star when it rose. Now, I love that phrase, and though I think likely, or I know, that all they meant was his star, the star that represented him, that would guide them to him. Nevertheless, I love the word his star, because even though they didn't know it, it most assuredly did belong to Jesus, right? We saw that in Hebrews, right? All things were created through him and for him, and he holds all things together. He holds the universe together by the word of his power, that yes, this star in every sense of the word was his star. It belonged to Jesus Christ, just like every other star in the universe belonged, even to this baby Jesus who is now somewhere in this house laying down. It belonged to him. It is his star, and it is that star that brought the wise men to Jerusalem. Now let's just pause here for a second and acknowledge that we don't really know how this star worked, whether it was a star or a special light that God supernaturally created in the sky. Was it a comet? We have no idea. People, a lot of ink has been spilled trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what potential uh, astronomical events would have been happening around this time. But it seems pretty clear that this is something supernatural. So you're not going to be able to look at star charts and figure out what happened around the time of the birth of Jesus. Though people keep trying every year. There's new articles being written, new speculation being made. But ultimately, ultimately, we don't need natural events, right? If, if God can create columns of fire and columns of clouds to guide Israel through the wilderness, if he can split the sea open so people can walk through on dry land, if he can make the sun stand still in the sky as he did in the Old Testament, then surely he can create some kind of supernatural light in the sky to guide the wise men to King Jesus, right? We don't need natural explanations. We don't need to spill any more ink about it. This is his star. This is God's doing. And he guided these wise men to King Jesus. Now, as I said, there's a lot we don't know about the, these men. But what we do know is that they weren't Jewish. 
They weren't from Israel. They weren't descended from Abraham. They weren't part of the chosen people. And yet, yet they know that the king of the Jews has been born. And they want to come and worship him. Now, the word worship, again, people argue about this as you read about this passage. It probably does just mean pay homage to, to respect this one who is to be born. It's not necessarily that these wise men understood that he was divine and ought to be worshipped as divine. But certainly that is the picture that Matthew paints as he writes this. And you will see this even as they respond at the end of our passage for this morning. So here's the ultimate point. From the moment of his birth, from the moment of his birth, Jesus is drawing the nations to himself. He's drawing the nations to himself. From the moment of his birth, God is making clear that this king of the Jews is also the savior of the world. Of all peoples and all nations. That's why we sing at Christmas songs like, Joy to the what? world, right? He's the king for everyone. He's the savior for everyone who will trust in him. It is joy to the world. He is the fulfillment of the promise made to the offspring of Abraham long ago when God said to Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Or as Nathaniel reminded us just a few days ago on Wednesday night from Isaiah 25, that Jesus came for the nations, for the sake of all peoples. And even here from his birth, God is making that clear. That's why, by the way, I love that we do the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support international missions every Christmas because the birth of Jesus reminds us that he came for all peoples. And what greater way to celebrate the Christmas story than to give to an organization that takes the gospel to all peoples, that all might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's the real scandal. The wise men who were not Jews came from the east to seek out this king and his own people were not even aware that he had been born. That's the scandal. And that brings us to our second truth this morning, that Jesus was rejected by the expected Meaning those that we would have expected to know that he was there, those that we would have expected to, to be pursuing him and finding him had no clue that he had even come to earth. He was rejected by the expected. Look there with me at verses three through six. <clears throat> when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod is troubled because it means somebody is coming for his throne. Somebody's coming for his seat of power. In Herod's mind, what he hears is, there's another king of the Jews. No, I'm the king of the Jews. Let's be clear about that. And so Herod is troubled. And all Jerusalem with him is troubled. That word trouble can be terrified or disturbed. Now, notice there's nothing mentioned. This is staggering to me. There's nothing mentioned in this passage about Herod doubting why they're here, right? He doesn't mock their journey. He doesn't say, you're foolish. What king are you talking about? Why, why would you travel this far? There's no king here. This hasn't happened. No, there's no indifference from, in that sense from Herod. He doesn't laugh them off. He doesn't ignore them. No, 
No, he takes their search quite seriously. Which means at some level, Herod knew that a Messiah was coming. At some level, right, he had some understanding because he himself, in verse 4, gathers the chief priest and the scribes of the people and he says to them, he asks them, where is this Christ to be born? The word Christ meaning Messiah. Where is this Messiah, this promised one, the one we've been waiting on for thousands of years, quite literally? Where is he who has been promised? Where is he to be born? We need to find out as soon as we can. And of course, as we find out later, the reason Herod wants to know is not for the reasons he says to worship him, but because he wants to execute this child so that he can sustain and maintain his reign on the throne. Herod, you see, had kicked and scratched and clawed and murdered to get where he was. This Herod had literally had his own wife murdered, some of his sons and his own relatives to get this throne. He was not going to give it up. Not if he had anything to say about it anyway. His rule was being threatened. And so he is troubled. And then what makes it even more staggering, right? He gathers the priests, these religious leaders of the day, these Jewish religious leaders and the scribes. He gathers them together and says, where, where is this king to be born? And, and they say, in Bethlehem of Judea. Like they, they knew it immediately off the top of their head. They're quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew it. They knew God's word. They knew the facts, right? They knew what it said. They knew it was supposed to happen in Bethlehem. They knew all these things. They had been studying these things. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And yet Jesus is only about five miles away. And they're twiddling their thumbs doing nothing, staying in Jerusalem, and they're clueless that King Jesus has come into the world. It is staggering. What's their reaction, right? When Herod asks them this, when they hear about these wise men who've seen a star, they're looking for this supernatural king of the Jews, right? Do they leap with excitement? Do they take off running to Bethlehem and say, no, we got to go find him. Let's go find him. Let's all go, right? It should have, I know this is silly, but like if you've ever seen Forrest Gump, it should look like when Forrest Gump is running, there's like a hundred people behind him, right? Like they all should have been heading to Bethlehem. That's what it should have looked like. But they just sit there. It, the indifference is almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable that these wise men, these foreigners, care more about the birth of King Jesus than his own people. Why? Because it's a threat to their power as well. You see this at the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark 15, Pilate has Jesus on trial. Uh, you're probably fairly familiar with that story. Eventually, Jesus, of course, is crucified. But Pilate doesn't really initially want to do it. In Mark 15, verse 10, he, he's trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. 
He doesn't think Jesus is guilty, and he literally says, I know that they delivered you over because of envy. They're jealous of Jesus' power. They wanted power. See, that, that's what we have. That's the theme of the story. Herod wanted to stay on his throne. The scribes and the Pharisees and uh, the religious leaders of the day wanted to stay on their throne. The chief priests wanted to maintain his position. They, they didn't lack knowledge of the Bible. They knew where he was going to be born. They knew the story. They knew it was supposed to happen in Bethlehem. Now, a baby has been born in Bethlehem. There's a supernatural light in the sky. Something is happening. There's people coming from the east to find him. They know all of these truths. And yet they sit on their hands because they wanted position and power more than they wanted the Messiah. You see, we face that same dilemma today because the child in the manger is a threat. It is a threat to human sovereignty. That if you're going to come to worship Jesus, you have to give up the sovereignty you think you have over your own life. You're laying down your life at the feet of King Jesus. You're taking up your cross to follow him. So yes, Jesus said, count the cost. It will cost something. You have to give up rights to your own life and give your life over to him. Jesus isn't just a cute baby in a manger that you ask to come into your life so he'll make it all better. No, he's the king. And when you come to him, you must submit to his rule. And that's something Herod and the scribes and the chief priest refused to give up. Not because they lacked information, but because they lacked a willingness to submit them themselves to his authority and to his rule. They wanted to hang on to what they loved most. And they were blinded to the reality if they took just one look in faith at Jesus, they would realize that he's more satisfying and more glorious and more worthy than any throne they could ever sit on. And that's what God is calling us to this morning, to submit ourselves to the authority of King Jesus. He is the King of the Jews, but he is also King of the world. He has come as Savior for us to trust in him and to lay our lives down before him. And that brings us to the final truth that we just want to briefly look at. That he was found by God's sovereign hand. This is fascinating to me. Look there with me in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know Herod is being uh, deceptive. He has no desire to worship Jesus. He will later slaughter every child who is two years old and younger, hoping somehow to find Jesus in the mix to take him out. But how did the wise men know to go to Bethlehem? Because of the inquiry of the evil King Herod. And then they head that way. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And once they went on their way, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them 
and it came to rest over the place where the child was. You see, God is supernaturally at work. He can use the evil intentions of a wicked king to guide the wise men to Bethlehem. And then once they're on the way, he puts the star in the sky. It leads them on the way, goes directly to where they need to be. God sovereignly led these men, these wise men, to the exact house where Jesus was living in Bethlehem. And verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's just about the strongest, most emphatic way of describing joy possible. They, did, they didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly. They didn't just rejoice exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with joy, but not just with any kind of joy, with great joy, right? Their hearts were almost bursting out of their chest. They were filled with excitement about getting to see this king of the Jews. And the irony continues to pour on that these wise men, these national foreign people, the nations coming to him, had their hearts filled with joy and excitement, almost overflowing. And verse 11 says, they go into the house and they see the child with Mary, his mother, and they fall down on their faces. And they worship him. And they open up their treasuries and they pour out expensive, valuable gifts upon him as they give of themselves to King Jesus. The nations fall at the feet of the baby King Jesus. And then verse 12 says, They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they departed to their own country by another way. And as the story continues, uh, God also directs Joseph to take Mary and Jesus out of the country to rescue them from Herod's wrath that would come. But here's what's fascinating. Think of all that God did to get the wise men, to get the nations to fall down at the feet of King Jesus. Right? He put a supernatural star in the sky and they traveled hundreds, if not a thousand or more miles to come and see this king, right? They put a lot of work and effort into coming to see him, and God protected them the whole way and brought them there. And then they arrive in Jerusalem, and he uses an evil, wicked king to help them figure out where it was. And he says, it's in Bethlehem. And so they head to Bethlehem, and then he takes that supernatural star and puts it right over the house where they need to go. He guides them to the footstep of the house of King Jesus. And at the very same time, he keeps Jesus away from Herod. You see, this is the sovereign hand of God at work. He leads those to Jesus who he wants to get there, and he keeps those who would threaten him away. We serve a sovereign Lord, a sovereign God, and he has been sovereign throughout history, protecting the seed who has come from from the womb of Eve, this promised seed who had crushed the head of Satan. And he has arrived in King Jesus. And that's who we're here to celebrate this morning. That all the promises of God in this child are yes and amen. That every good thing that comes to you in your life, for those who are trusting in Christ, come to you simply and only because Jesus Christ came to earth as a child.
and lived a righteous life in your place and laid down his life on the cross and took the wrath that you deserved on himself and victoriously rose from the grave. And because of that, and only because of that, God pours out goodness and blessing upon you for all eternity. All the promises of God are yes and amen in our glorious Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate that this Christmas day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news that Jesus has come in the flesh. And I pray that throughout the remainder of this day, we would continue to worship him. Father, that we would make much of Jesus Christ this Christmas day. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.